So if you guys have your Bibles, please open them up. We will be in Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, we're continuing on where we were before in our series through the book of Romans. Romans chapter 10, go to verse 17 if you would please. And if you're able to stand with me, please stand with me. Also, the Calvary Chapel East Coast Pastors Conference starts tomorrow. Uh, it's one of the biggest events for Calvary Chapel here on the East Coast. A uh, bunch of us guys are going to go. So keep the uh, the conference in prayer, if you would. They're, they're all just like us here. They want to teach through the entire Bible. A uh, bunch of awesome Bible teaching and worship and fellowship that we'll have. That'll be at Calvary Chapel, Philadelphia. And it'll be Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday this week. So please keep us all in prayer that we... I'll be protected by God. He would anoint us for this time that he would speak to and through all the speakers and that each of us can come back with those spiritual souvenirs, so to speak. Amen? And what God's doing in our lives. But we're going to go ahead. We're going to start reading here from Romans chapter 10 at verse 17. Romans 10, verse 17. It says, So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But I say, have they not heard? Yes, indeed. Their sound has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I say, did Israel not know? First Moses says, I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move you to anger by a foolish nation. But Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I was made manifest to those who did not ask for me. But to Israel, he says, all day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Chapter 11, verse 1. I say then, has God cast away his people? Certainly not. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. And so please pray with me, Father in heaven. We pray that you would please speak to us through your holy word. Oh, Lord God, we ask that you would open up our understanding. Help us to see what you want us to see in your word, God. We ask that you also, Father, you'd be the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Lord, we know that each of us are going through maybe a trial right now. Help us to look to you because you're the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Please comfort each and every one of our hearts. Minister to us. Encourage us. Pour out your Spirit upon, into, and through us for your glory. For we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you. You guys could have a seat if you would, please. So we're continuing to go through this study of the book of Romans. 
And after God tells us, as we get into and through chapter 8, Romans chapter 8, we learn that nothing can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. Such a glorious truth, amen? Such a wonderful reality. There is nothing, there's no one, no created thing can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. But then the question arises for you and I, whether a Jew that has received Yeshua as Messiah and has now had salvation and is born again, or a Gentile like most of us, we get saved. The question then arises, what about the Jews? Aren't they your chosen people? Aren't you the God of Israel? If you do a search in the Bible, it's, I believe, 203 times, if you search for God of Israel, you'll come up 203 times that God is the God of Israel. Does he just cast away his people? No. The Jews are God's chosen people. But how can we believe that nothing can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus when it seems like he's done away with the Jews? Or is that so? So Paul answers that question. And as we dig into now chapter 11, we learn that chapter 9, chapter 10, and chapter 11 of Romans covers that, answers that, preempts that question. Again, we close chapter 8 where nothing can separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. Anybody want to hear that? Mm. Loving, right? So loving to know that. I want to hear that. But that question arises. So Paul tends to that question. Because after getting through two-thirds of the Bible, the thing that we call the Old Testament, what the Jews still call today the Tanakh, the answer has to be addressed. What about the Jews? What about Israel? Because you're the God of Israel. Again, do a search on that. Your Bible study software, 203 times. God says he's the God of Israel. So we see that God has not, quote, cast away his chosen people, Israel. Let's dip back into some of these verses as we open up at the end of chapter 10. Again, chapter 9. How Israel was in the past, chapter 10, how they are in the present. And then chapter 11, we're going to get into, we're going to probably, God willing, pray for us, pray for me, probably slowly go through chapter 11 because we have to address this because this is affecting how we are now. And also, biblically speaking, about eschatology, the study of biblical end time events. By the way, who here loves Bible prophecy? Raise your hand. Is that you? You love Bible prophecy? We Calvary Chapel folks, we love Bible prophecy. But we must have a proper, a biblical view, God's view, of who He says He is and also who Israel is. Let's get back into chapter 10 now. Again, speaking primarily now to the Jew or about the Jews, about Israel. Verse 17 is how we open up. Faith comes by what? Hearing. hearing and hearing by what? The Word of God. I love doing this. I love doing this. Church, ladies and gentlemen, lift up your sword, lift up your Bible. The more you get into God's Word and the more you hear God's Word, the more something's going to grow. What is that? Your faith. Oh, I'm lacking faith. Get into God's Word, right? Read God's Word, hear God's Word taught and preached, especially throughout the entire Bible without man-made doctrine. 
And what will you get? You'll get taught. You'll get fed by God himself, the very one who created you, the very one who loves you, and who gave you his word. The thing that we call the sword of the Spirit. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by what? The word of God. So get into God's word. But what about these Jews? Have they heard? This is where he's addressing. Look at this in verse 18. Romans 10, verse 18, like we opened up. Paul's going to quote in verse 18, Psalm 19, verse 4, to show that God's word has indeed spread. It's been heard. It's been taught. It's been spread like seeds. It's been spread around the world. Their sound has gone out to all the earth and the words to the end of the world. He's quoting from Psalm 19, verse 4. So Israel has heard about Yeshua, or Jesus, being Messiah. Israel doesn't have an excuse. They don't have an excuse. And now get into verse 19. Look at this. But I say, did Israel not know? First Moses says, look at this. You need to hear this. Why? Because this is applying to you here and now today. I will provoke you to jealousy. The you there is not speaking to Gentiles. Who do you think the you is referring to? To Jews, to Israel. God will provoke Jews to jealousy by who? Point. Point around the room. To all of us, right? Look at this again. Verse 19. I will provoke you. He's speaking to Israel, to the Jews. I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move you to anger by a foolish nation. Oh. <laughs> the foolish nations, who are they? They're us. Even today, not just 2,000 years ago when Christ Jesus came. God's going to use Gentiles to, quote, provoke the Jews, it says, to jealousy. Why? Because as you and I grow closer to this God who reveals himself through Messiah Jesus, this is why you got to have your life on public display, not just for the Gentiles, but also for Jews to see. Why? So that God could use you to provoke his chosen people, the Jews, Israel, to jealousy. They may look at you and go, why do you know my God better than I do? Why are you so passionate about my God? Why do you care about these scriptures? Why do you care about my people, Israel? I thought you, quote, Christians would persecute and kill us. That's actually how a lot of Jews think today. Anybody know that? To a lot of Jews that grow up, Orthodox Jews, they learn history, and to them, that word Christ or Christian is a dirty word. This is why when I'm trying to talk with and speak to a Jew, especially an Orthodox Jew, I'll use the word and term Messiah. It means the same thing, but I'm using their terminology. Because they're taught that the word Christ and Christian is somewhat of a dirty word. We're going to get into a little bit of that today. Not not the dirty words, but we'll get into how it is and why it is that they think these things. By the way, this word for provoke in the original Greek language, this Greek word can mean, quote, to provoke to jealousy or rivalry. Know this as a principle that the Holy Spirit wants to use your life. Hey, when I go and get my teeth worked on, and i got a lot more work to be done, praise God, I go to an Orthodox dentist in South Williamsburg. 
and I'll, I'll sit in the chair and why, when I see him, he got to know Mr. Sagawa. He considers me like the, we'll talk about the temple and the red heifer. What's any updates about the red heifer? It took a while to break through to talk to this guy this way. But I realized knowing scriptures like this and I'll approach him and talk with him on the basis of Judaism, the Messiah in Judaism. Hey, I love studying the tabernacle. He would look at me like, what? And I would share that I wish I grew up Learning Hebrew, like you know, he's he's like how he tells me a lot of Orthodox Jews are. It's like we don't care about it. It's just culturally something we grow up with. And like, why do you have this love? And he started to ask me like, what's your background? I, I told him, well, I'm a what you call a Christian, but we love the Jews. We support Israel. And he started asking about this church. I told him, but we, I told him we're Calvary Chapel. But he never heard of that. And he's like, oh, what is that? And I told him that we as a group, as a church, and as a network of churches, we love Israel, we support Israel. And you know what I, I thought, but turned out to be true? That he had never heard that. That Christians, and a group of Christians, will actually love him and, and their people and support Israel. It's just not common. Anybody know that? That's not, that's not common, especially from Christians. You might not know that. So God can use you and I to provoke the Jews to jealousy. Not like, ha-ha, I got something you don't. <laughs> you know, I got salvation, you ain't. Not that kind of jealousy. But, wow, why is it and how is it that you know my scriptures more than me and you have a love and you memorize it? Today, I, I hate it because I grew up, this is how a lot of Jews are, I grew up just learning it. It was just rote and routine. But God could use you that you'd provoke them to jealousy. Why? That they can get saved. But you see, we know we have the same God as far as the Bible shows. But they think that you're different as far as you have a different God. And God willing, He could use your life as you just allow God to put you on display. That you would provoke them to jealousy. Why? They're still his chosen people. He still loves them. He still sent Messiah Jesus. Their Messiah. Remember, it's not a Gentile Messiah. It's a Jewish Messiah. He's Jesus of Nazareth. From what tribe? From Judah. The Lion of the tribe of Judah, right? So to provoke to jealousy or rivalry. Verse 19 again, I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move you to anger by a foolish nation. This is how the Jews look at us, that we're foolish. But as you allow, it's like, oh, I'm going to let my light shine, but only with Christians. Allow yourself to go on public display. I, I do as much as God might give me open doors. And I need to walk through that with God's grace. I pray before I go to the dentist. <laughs> and I pray while I'm sitting in the chair. Because not just the dentist and the whole staff is all basically Orthodox Jewish, but they're, they're also others, assistants and others I realize that are not Jewish. And then they'll hear me speak. You know, as long as my mouth isn't shot up with, you know, that painkiller or, you know, like when you talk, you're, you can't understand. So I praise God. And one time I remember they looked at my teeth like, Mr. Sagawa, you've got like, he's like four cavities or five cavities or something like that. I guess I wasn't brushing correctly. And I might look at it through the, the carnal side and go, man, that's a bummer. I'm going to have to come back for five or so visits. On the other end, I looked at it and I thought, you know, those are good opportunities. Those are open doors. <laughs> Praise God for cavities, right? I'm not saying don't brush your teeth. 
But for me, I pray, for me, I pray that God would open those doors that I can share and not preach at them, but try to come at them as a friend and share with them the love of Messiah. Their Messiah, they just have missed it. Okay, so God could use you to provoke them to jealousy. And continuing on, look at this in verse 20. I was found by those who did not seek me. Ah, oh, guess who that is? That's us. That's you. That's me. No, none of us can boast and go, oh, I made it. I'm just so brilliant. I studied all the paths. I remember my sister when I was young. She, I was trying to preach to her about Christianity and how salvation is only by and through and with Jesus Christ. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Right, And so I was trying to share those kind of truths, those realities with her. She's like, oh, come on. Why don't you study all the world religions? I'm like, just on the practical, logistical side, I'm thinking, that's this dumb. Because <laughs> then there's going to be a new world religion. She's like, why don't you study all of them and then come tell me? I'm like, that's just a way to, to, to tell me, like, shut up, go away. <laughs> How many of you guys know that? So don't take that ploy. But the Lord... Look at this, it says in verse 20 again, I was found by those who did not seek me. I was made manifest to those who did not ask for me. Praise God, He revealed Himself to you. And if you're like me, it wasn't the first person that shared a gospel tract with you. It wasn't the first person that came and shared with you your need for salvation through Jesus Christ. If you're like me, it's probably over and over and over again. And you're stubborn. Is that any of you guys? Oh, wow, that's a lot of us. But who else is like that? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Look, raise your hand. Keep it up. Look around the room. Who else was stubborn like that? Oh my gosh. Okay. Don't give up on your evangelism, right? <laughs> Praise God. So this is applying to you. I was found by those who did not seek me. You were like me, probably blaspheming his name. I was a party DJ trying to ruin people's lives. I didn't know that. I thought I was having fun, but according to God, I, I, I guess I was working for Satan. I had to cry and repent. I was made manifest to those who did not ask for me. In verse 21, here's what God says about Israel. All day long, I've stretched out my hands. Imagine a loving mother or a father just all day long stretching out my hands. Can I hold you? Will you come near? All day long, I've stretched out my hands. Notice it says, to a disobedient and contrary people. So the Gentiles are getting saved during this time that we're in right now. And yet, simultaneously, all day long, God stretches out His hands to Israel, to Jews. But they need to see the reality of a new life in Messiah. Through who? Yes, through Jesus, but through who? As far as a living human being. Through who? Point. To you, through you. And through us, through we, right? So that he could provoke them to jealousy. And then into chapter 11, we want to look at this word cast away. Again, I'm calling this message today, Israel's not cast away. This is extremely important. Your view of who Israel is in God's eyes, whether or not you like the Jews or like the nation Israel, but your view of how you see the future of what God says in the Bible about the Jews, about Israel your view of Israel will greatly taint or twist a lot of scripture. 
if you don't have a biblical view. And that's the reality. You're probably thinking of people in the past who have persecuted the Jews. Who are they? Who are some of the biggest names that come to mind? Paul was one. Who else in our lifetimes, if you're older especially? Hitler. We're going to look at some of what uh, had been done, some of the footwork that was done prior to Hitler and Nazi Germany coming into power. But looking at this word for castaway, I'm displaying it here on the screen. What I did is I took a screenshot of, of my Bible study software here on the, I guess on the right side. Look at this word for castaway. Thayer's has, has these definitions. I just circled it in the red so you can see it. To thrust away, to push away, to rebel. God has not pushed away, thrust away Israel. To thrust away from oneself, to drive away from oneself. This is the word he used here in verse 1 as well as in verse 2. Again, verse 1, I say that God has, has God cast away his people? Certainly not. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. In verse 2, the same word. God has not cast away. God has not thrust away his people whom he foreknew. So he has not thrust away Israel. And we got to remember, even as the Jews came out of Egypt, after Moses passed away, who did Moses pass on the leadership to? To Joshua. So here's what it says in Joshua chapter 1. We love quoting this as Christians, as Gentile believers, don't we? But we got to know the context, the first recipients of this. It was not Gentiles. This was given to who? To Israelites. Joshua chapter 1 verse 5. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not, what? Leave you nor forsake you. We Christians, we love these Christian memes, right? You could put it on a picture and send it all over Facebook, Instagram, all over the place. And we'll quote these things. We'll memorize these. You put on a t-shirt, a bumper sticker. You put on a nice picture and frame it. And you can sell it in a Christian bookstore. But we got to remember who this was given to. This was not spoken to Gentiles. And you go read the context of Joshua chapter 1. God's telling Joshua and his nation, the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, his chosen children, stay with God's word. Don't turn from God's word to the left or to the right. I will not leave you nor forsake you. So did God change his mind? Did he call them to come out of Egypt to worship him in the wilderness? And they say, nah, forget it. I changed my mind. No, God is not a man that he would change his mind. So we got to remember these things. God, the God of Israel, told Israel in Joshua 1.5, like we quoted here. And look at this in verse 1. Paul's strong proof that God has not cast away Israel Look at verse 1. Romans chapter 11, verse 1. Paul's strong proof that God hasn't cast away Israel is who? Is Paul, right? Think about this. He's not a Gentile. We forget about that. It's Paul himself. He uses himself here as an example that God is not done away. God has not cast away the Jews. So let's remember the 12 apostles. We got pictures of them too in the children's church area. And not their exact pictures, of course. They're <laughs> cartoonish pictures. 
But the apostles, what were they? Were they Gentiles? They were all Jews. They All 12 of the apostles were handpicked by Jesus, who was Jewish, and the apostles were all Jewish. Okay, this brings us to an important thing here at this juncture. Extremely important thing. Why? And what is it? Well, a major problem that exists today in the world is this. We call it anti-Semitism. Has anybody heard of that before? It's a big thing, isn't it? Oh, you're talking about Hitler and Nazi Germany. It started before that. It started actually <laughs> in the beginning, in Genesis. Right after the fall. Do you know that anti-Semitism, a hate for Israel, a hate for Jews, still exists today? Anybody know that? Okay, raise your hand. Do you know that? Anti-Semitism, a hate for Israel, a hate for the Jews, still exists today. Who here knows that a hate for Israel and a hate for the Jews exists in the church? You need to know this. You need to know this. Okay, as Calvary Chapel Christians, as Bible-believing Christians, we know this and we have to address this because it's a problem. So knowing Bible prophecy, Satan not followers of God, knowing Bible prophecy, Satan wants you and I to think that God has cast away Israel. You need to know this. Satan wants you to think that God has cast away Israel. But God is not done with Israel. Amen? God has not cast away Israel. Have you guys heard of the Protestant Reformation? Who here has heard of the Protestant Reformation? Who's known as the main figurehead or the father of Protestant, the Protestant Reformation, the great reformer, who? Martin Luther. No, we're not talking Martin Luther King. Okay, the great reformer, Martin Luther. Do you know that he wrote, he wrote some nice things, but he also wrote some really nasty things. Anybody know that? Just check in the postal where you guys are. Most people, most Christians, including myself, until I did a lot of research, don't know this. And I bought the book. So the great reformer, Martin Luther, he actually wrote to cast away Israel. Wait a second. Isn't he the guy that's the father of the Protestant Reformation? Isn't he the one that he translated at his time a lot of the, the scriptures? Isn't he the great reformer? Yeah. But he also, just like us, he was very flawed. And we got to understand this and know this. So Luther's writings seem to have helped inspire what you and I call today the Holocaust. <gasps> Are you kidding? No, I'm not. I'm going to show you. He wrote a book. This is a picture. Martin Luther. He lived 1483 to 1546. Martin Luther wrote a book called On the Jews and Their Lies. You can see it. There's a picture of it right there. Or at least the cover. One of them. And this German reformer, Martin Luther, although he's known as being the father of the Protestant Reformation, he also wrote some very anti-Semitic literature. This book called On the Jews and Their Lies. Here's what he wrote, and I just quoted a bunch of it here. What shall we Christians do with this rejected and condemned people, the Jews? And he set forth a whole bunch of paragraphs. We're just quoting a little bit from it. First, to set fire to their synagogues or schools and to bury and cover with dirt whatever will not burn. Now, there are a lot of Lutherans or those of the 
reformed variety, of which I am not and Calvary Chapel is not, that do not want you to know this. Why? Because a lot of us would like to applaud these things. But just like you and I today, he's human and he was flawed. He actually wrote this. So be careful and think and pray through what you publish. Here's what he wrote. Second, I advise that their houses also be razed and destroyed. Would a book like this or quotes like this float today? No. These are not what you'd want to put on your meme that you you know set out on Facebook, right? Third, I advise that all their prayer books and Talmudic writings in which such idolatry, lies, cursing, and blasphemy are taught be taken from them. Fourth, I advise that the rabbis be forbidden to teach henceforth, henceforth on pain of loss of life and limb. Is he saying, do you write that the Jewish rabbis shouldn't be teaching or else they're going to get killed? That's what he's actually inspiring here. Fifth, I advise that safe conduct on the highways be abolished completely for the Jews. Ain't going to happen in New York. <laughs> There's a lot of Jews here. Imagine that. It's like, oh, you're a Jew. You can't be safe on the highway. This is so radical. Think about this. Six, I advise that usury, like loaning money, usury be prohibited to them and that all cash and treasure of silver and gold be taken from them and put aside for safekeeping. Don't lend money to them. Take away all their money. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying bash Martin Luther and I'm not saying applaud him. I'm saying that he is like you and I. Yes, he was born again Christian. Yes, he was known as the father of the Protestant Reformation. But like you and I, very flawed. Very flawed. Now, do know that when he wrote this book, this is supposedly one of the main books that Martin Luther wrote. He was from what country, by the way? Germany, a German theologian who protested and wanted to reform away from the Roman Catholic Church, which I totally agree. However, they didn't reform enough. They still kept baby baptism, a lot of things that are not, let's say, kosher with God, let me just say, not biblical. But anyhow, back to the point here, and you can find this out even on the internet. I can't read German, but this is supposedly a propaganda poster that Hitler used from 1933 that supposedly reads, Hitler's fight and Luther's teaching, Martin Luther, both from Germany, okay? And Luther's teaching are the best defense for the German people. And I put here, sadly, it seems that Martin Luther's teachings help inspire the Holocaust against the Jews. If you look at that, that's supposedly a picture of Martin Luther. Okay? Now, what am I getting at? Am I, again, am I just bashing Martin Luther or Lutherans or Protestant theology? No. But you and I need to know who we are. We're Bible-believing, Jesus-following people. Amen? Okay? And that's who we are as Christians. We are, as Calvary Chapel Christians, we're non-denominational. So we don't follow a pope or denomination. We just want to follow Jesus and read and apply the Bible and preach that. Because that's what we're commanded to and exhorted to and held accountable to God for. Amen? Okay. But know that in, even in the church's history, there's a lot of nasty stuff. But the problem with anti-Semitism is that it's still around today. And it's in the church. And a lot of these things, cause maybe because it's so old, is not just a problem back then with even Nazi Germany. It's even hidden from a lot of us today where a lot of us don't know that these things 
were used not just by Nazi Germany, but by others, and they've infiltrated the church. So much so that there are those that are be great at reading and teaching and doing commentaries through chapters 1 through 8 in Romans, which we love. But when you get into the, that's the doctrinal part, but when you get into Israel, Romans chapter 9, Romans chapter 10, Romans chapter 11, they kind of twist it. Why? Because they don't, their theology, their belief, they don't want to accept the fact that God has not cast away Israel. And I, we just need to have faith at face value of what God says in His Word. Amen? That's what He says here, opening up chapter 11. I say then, has God cast away His people? Certainly not. Luther read this. But whatever theology he had in his heart at that moment, at that time, did not allow him to accept God's word, but he accepted some other, which was satanic, I believe, some other reality. In verse 2, again, God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. So anti-Semitism didn't infiltrate just Nazi Germany. Anti-Semitism has actually infiltrated the church. Okay, those that are truly born-again Christians. The church, I'm not talking about a building or a denomination. I'm talking about you and I as individual born-again Christians. So my challenge, one of the things that I need to do as a pastor of this fellowship, I want to teach through the entire Bible. I need to teach God's word of truth. The church is a pillar and ground of what? Of the truth. But as a shepherd, I also have to say, wolf. Wolf bad. Stay away from wolf, okay? Why? Because wolf, bad. <laughs> wolf eats sheep, okay? And we got to be careful. So there's a lot of bad doctrine out there, unfortunately. If we just stick close to Jesus and the Bible, we'll be safe, okay? Just stick to the Bible. Stick to what God wants to say to you and I throughout his word and stick close to Jesus. So here's what happened then in the church as time went on, as the centuries went on and on. There's something in uh, Christendom that exists today, very popular today, especially of those of the Reformed belief. I'm not knocking on them because I used to be part of that. And I fell to the intellectualism of that. Almost did. Praise God he saved me out of that. I just came back to Jesus and the Bible. But what developed from this is what you and I call today replacement theology. In other words, the 203 times when God says he's the God of Israel, look it up, do a Bible search. You can go to Blue Letter Bible, do a search on God of Israel. You'll see in the King James Version, I believe it is, 203 times he says he's the God of Israel. That those that are of the replacement theology side of things, they'll take that of Israel and the Jews and all of God's promises to them and they replace Israel with what? The Gentile church. Can't do that. It's called heresy. Okay, Does God still have a plan for Israel? Yes. And some of you guys were here when we went through and teaching uh, on eschatology, the study of biblical end time events, especially books, books like Daniel, books like Revelation especially, which is you know mostly future prophecy. And after what we believe when the church is raptured, which by the way, a lot of Reformed theologians, they don't believe in the rapture. right? They don't believe in a millennial reign. They don't believe that God's gonna, you know, Jesus is gonna come back, Revelation 19, the second coming of Christ, set up his kingdom here. Why? Because it's in Israel. It'll be in Jerusalem. And so those that are of that variety where they want to, say, cast away Israel, they'll come to Romans chapter 9, Romans chapter 10, Romans chapter 11. They don't know what to do with it. 
because they have to either accept God and God's word, study it and read it and teach it and preach it, faith at face value what God says and change their theology or stick to their theology of, no, 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 we replace Israel. And you can't do that. You can't replace your thoughts of who you think Israel is when God says that he gives these promises to the Jews. So replacement theology is popular, especially among those of the Reformed tradition of Christians. That's definitely not us. And believe me, I I have some friends, a bunch of friends that are Reformed, uh, that are Calvinists. We're definitely not Calvinists. We're not a five-point or any-point Calvinist. Uh, Those that are of that variety, though, they want to take those promises of God to Israel. This is like the nasty stuff of Reformed theology that they're not going to tell you about until you get sucked into it. It's kind of cultish. They want to take those promises and replace it with you being predominantly the Gentile Christian church replacing Israel. You can't do that. So they want to take the promises of God to Israel and to get rid of the Jews and to replace Israel with the Gentile church. You can't do this. can't do that. So God prophesied about Israel. One of the things that if you're sitting through the teaching here, remember when we went through, some of you guys were here, we went through the book of Matthew. I'm going to display this on the screen here. God prophesied about Israel being the fig tree. One of the problems with what we call replacement theology and stuff that was birthed out of like Martin Luther's nasty writings of God casting away Israel and we're going to do this under the banner of Christ. You see why a lot of Jews hate Christians and why when you try to evangelize, they get their kids like, no, no, come here. It's nasty Gentile Christians because that was done in the name of Jesus Christ. And they think Hitler was a Christian. Any of you guys know that? A lot of Jews think that Hitler was a Christian. He used Martin Luther's writings and claiming to be a Christian, so to speak, to do those nasty things that they did and eradicate millions of Jews. Can't do that. And yet that theology and those thoughts were developed and executed before the 1940s. What happened? Well, if you're looking here on the display, this is a newspaper clipping where it says, My Nation Born on a Battlefront. God prophesied that His people, Israel, His chosen people, Israel, would be rebirthed as a nation. And so there's a problem today even with what we call Reformed theology. And these are our brothers and sisters. They're just not informed well in the Reformed tradition. They need to read and stick to the Bible. I'm not trying to pick a fight. I'm trying to say, let's trust God for what He says and not try to twist things because we think, well, there is no nation of Israel, so maybe these promises will be fulfilled through the Gentile Christian church. No. God prophesied about Israel. And here's what Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 32. Jesus said, Now learn this parable from the fig tree. And we're going to have to close here in a little bit. Learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near at the doors. We believe in Bible prophecy, the fig tree is Israel. And that Jesus is telling you and I that this fig tree, that Israel, is going to come to life again, even as God had predicted how he prophesied and how he promised and upheld. 
And on May 14, 1948, this is David Ben-Gurion, he pronounced the rebirth of the state of Israel. At that point in time, something changed theologically for some. Some chose to believe that God's word is true. And some chose to believe from the 1940s, and we're talking not long ago. Someone do the math. It's 2023. Roughly how many years ago? Yeah, some of you guys already calculated. Not that very long ago. Some chose to stick to their theology and still want to cast away Israel or just claim it's a fluke. Like, oh, no way. I mean, give me a break. For 2,000 people or 2,000 years, a people without a place, without a nation, and yet retaining their culture. How is that possible? That's never been done on the entire planet. And some would say, when you want to believe whether or not God exists, look at the Jew. Look at Israel. How is it that they can exist while Satan is trying to eradicate them, go throughout Bible history, right? Over and over. Hitler today, even in the church. We know that Bible prophecy shows that all nations must be against Israel in the last days. Ladies and gentlemen, even as Jesus says here, know that summer is near. We don't have long. I'm not going to predict by telling you a date. I do know from what the Lord exhorts us through the scriptures, he wants us to have oil in our lamps, to be ready, amen? To know that he's coming. And we don't, we don't know how long, but I don't think we have long. I'm not going to predict by giving you a date. By the way, if someone gives you a date, and it's one of those date setters, no, it's a false prophecy. Okay, but Israel's rebirth as a nation, just like God said, and as we simply believe that God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew, look at this again in Romans 10 verse 2, we know that God has a plan for the Jews. What we believe in Bible prophecy, you remember when we went through, I even put timelines and so forth, that when what we call the rapture of the church, call it what you want, when Jesus the bridegroom comes back for his bride, he gets the church, and then you see in the book of Revelation, a great picture of that is Revelation 4 and 5 with the saints gathered in the heavenlies before Christ Jesus cracks open the seven-sealed scroll, which is Romans, or I'm sorry, Revelation 6 through 18. The bulk, the belly of the book of Revelation is what's called the what? The Great Tribulation. And do you know that the Greek word ekklesia, church, is not there? The last time that word church is in Revelation, you see where Jesus is speaking to the church. He says, he who has an ear, let him hear what? What the Spirit says to the church, ekklesia. That's at the end. That's Romans, what, chapter 3, I believe. And then chapter 4, speaking to John, he says, come up here. Great picture of the rapture. And then the saints are gathered in the heavenlies. And then uh, Revelation chapter 6, Jesus is cracking open the seven-sealed scroll, unleashing the wrath of God. And You're not appointed to wrath from the Father. Why? Because Christ Jesus took your wrath, the Father's wrath, as payment for your sins when He died on the cross for your sins. So if you believe that you're a sinner, Christ Jesus took your place as your Savior, your Messiah, but your Savior who died on the cross for your sins. He took the wrath, the payment, the penalty for your sins. 
And you and I believing and receiving, we simply turn, we repent and do what? We want to turn to follow Him. And now you're birthed into a new family, into God's family. And then what? We need to simply follow Jesus and read and teach the entire Bible. But we want to look at these things, the context within, or the text within their context. Amen? So when you do, realize as you're looking forward, if you like Bible prophecy, again, who likes or loves Bible prophecy? Calvary Chapel Christians typically love Bible prophecy. And by the way, fellas, when we go to the pastor's conference, we're going to see probably booths that are set up by these pro-Israel ministries. Why do they come to Calvary Chapel pastor's conferences? Because they know we're pretty much the the largest group of sold-out Bible Christians that support Israel, that are pro-Israel. They're not going to go to Presbyterian conference or Lutheran conference. Why? Because, like, no, stay away. They'll be part of the, remember we looked at the BDS movement. Boycott Israel. Divest in Israel. Sanction Israel. Sadly, that's happening in the body of Christ. Probably fulfilling what God prophesied in his word that all nations in the end times will be against Israel. Does that mean America must be against Israel then? Sadly, yes. Okay, And I don't want to be part of that. I would rather preach, herald God's word of truth and warn people and use you and I to warn our Christian brothers. If they're not reading their Bibles, they need to read the Bible. They need to follow Jesus. They need to understand, hey, don't support a group who's anti-Israel. They won't tell you, oh, I'm anti-Semitic. Their actions, though, might show it. Their theology might show it as well. Let's all stand, please. We're going to close with a word of prayer here. So as we move forward and we learn more and more in Romans chapter 11 about how God still has a plan for Israel, I do want to say to you and I, as born-again Christians, as, yes, Gentile believers of this faith that started from Jews, Jesus was a Jew. Think about this. You and I, predominantly Gentiles in this Christian church. We looked at earlier in our servants meeting, Ephesians 2 verse 10. You are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. You're his workmanship. That word workmanship, poema, poem. You're God's poetry. You're his expression. You're created in Christ Jesus for good works. God, why am I alive now? Why do I exist? It's to give God glory. He created you in Christ Jesus for good works. That's Ephesians 2 verse 10, which God prepared beforehand. He has a calling for you before he created planet earth. Think about this. Before time as you and I know it began, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so, Father, we ask that you would please open up our understanding Lord, of your holy word, please minister to us, God. We thank you, Lord, that you have not cast away your ancient people, Israel. They are your chosen people. Yes, you somehow picked and chose us for salvation individually. But as a nation, as a group of people, Israel is still your beloved. You're still the God of Israel. Help us, God, to love our Israeli friends to make friends with Jews that are living around here, that we can reveal to them our love for you. And as we study the Hebrew Scriptures, it's their Scriptures. It's their people that we read and study about. And you still have a love for them. And you want to stir them up for jealousy that they would be saved, that they would receive Yeshua as their Messiah. And they would turn even from whatever current form of Judaism they follow. 
which much of it now is simply pure legalism, God. You love them. And you also gave your son Jesus for them. Not just us Gentile Christians. But Lord, use our lives. We know, we believe, we accept the fact that we're created in Christ Jesus for good works. We are your poema, your workmanship, your masterpiece. We may not feel like it, but help us to believe your word and not obey feelings or emotions, but obey what you say, Lord. That we're created in Christ Jesus for good works. Reveal your plan, your calling for us. Reveal your spiritual gifting you've given to us. And you're simply waiting for us to walk in these things. But we need your empowerment. So, Father, we pray to you. Can you please empower us by your Spirit to live out these lives for your glory. To throw away our goals, our dreams, whatever plans that we've had. They're nothing, God, unless it came from you. So help us, Lord. Encourage us to walk this walk with the strength, with the power that only you can give. Help us, Lord, to minister to the Jews that are around us daily. For we ask in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.